Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 9 of Pigskins and Nylon. I'm Wally Lukashinsky, and joined once again by my great friends and co-hosts, Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. Got a fun show lined up for you guys today. Another week into real recruiting. We'll get an update there. And then Pro Football Focus gives the Iowa Hawkeyes the second best chance to win the Big Ten. And what's going on with all these NILs, and why are they changing college athletics? But first, let's say hello to the boys. We're going to check in first with Casey this week. Casey, what's going on in your world, man? What's up, fellas? It's nice to see your pretty faces again, especially from this little studio thing that we got rolling here, Hayden. It was a pretty pretty busy week for me. I have a couple weddings this weekend, one in Dayton and then one in good old Finley, Ohio. So, you know, I'm looking forward to those. And then I'm going to spend Father's Day with my dad up at the lake. Pretty busy weekend, but should be a fun one. Yeah, happy Father's Day to all of our dads here and all the dads out there that might be listening as well. But let's check in now also with Hayden. He just came back from 7-on-7 seven seven drills in Northwest Ohio. What's going on in your world, man? Yeah, I just got back from a good old 7-on-7. Seven seven. Took about two and a half hours, so that was real fun. Actually, it, it was actually really good. We, our kids played pretty hard. They've had a long week, so we had basketball shootout Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and that lasted like five hours a day so they were playing straight basketball for five hours and then today we had a two and a half hour seven on seven so tomorrow they're getting the day off which is pretty well deserved but yeah that kept me really busy this week and hayden the haircut man he's looking good yes sir yeah i got the the world's cheapest haircut i cut it myself and then madison trimmed up my ears to make it look like not a clown show back there cheapest haircut in the world if you need one I'm your guy. Get at me. Great clips, more like better clips in Northwest Ohio there with Hayden. But we're going to jump right... Oh, no, actually, I've got to tell you about me for a little bit here before we jump right into our Big Ten, Big Five. Who gives a shit about you, Wally? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but I'll just give an update anyway, so that's fine. So this is, you know, the wonderful world of sports. They're never-ending, whether it be the football offseason. It's always filled with stories, but right now we also have big hockey guy. Like I said, they're in... The semifinals, so I'm enjoying that. Also, I'm the only soccer fan, as far as I know, on the podcast, so I've been enjoying the Euros as well each day as they've been Go coming crew, out. Go crew, baby. Yeah, the crew, they'll probably win the European Championship, so good luck to them. Hopefully they can make it out. But outside of that, it's been a lot of fun. We don't want to talk about baseball right now. Pirates have lost 10 straight as they're about to welcome in the Cleveland Indians. But good news, the Pirates aren't the laughing stock today as... The Arizona Diamondbacks have lost 23 straight games on the road, which ties an MLB record. They've also lost 14 straight. So, when all things considering, the Pirates are basically a World Series contender. Go Mets, baby. Mets are on a roll. DeGrom's right shoulder is just sore, so that's good. What? A, oh, So, who's in the... Uh, you said they're in the semifinals in the NHL? That's how out of the loop I am. Yeah, so it usually, I'd call them the conference finals, but it's kind of not really like that because this year they basically did it where it was the top four division teams that come out of those like four team kind of playoffs, I'd call it. And then it's those four teams in a best of four. So right now Tampa's playing New York, really hoping Tampa makes quick work of them. And then Vegas is playing Montreal. I still think they'll make quick work of them. And I'm really excited for a Tampa Vegas Stanley Cup final. On paper, it should be one of the best Stanley Cup finals we've had in a long time, which means it won't happen and one of these other teams will blow it for everybody else. 
Well, wait. I I thought the Blue Jackets. I thought that they were they were the first out. They, they if there were five teams at the end, they would have been in it, but just missed so, out. I, I'm confused. I I thought that they were they had the best record in the in the NHL, and they were you know poised for a Stanley Cup championship. If this was 2016, I'd agree with you. Coming off like a 10, 15 game winning streak, but alas, it's 2021. And the Jackets, good for them. They they hired internally. They hired their head coach this week. We'll see how that guy works out. But yeah, not not exactly the hockey hotbed we all would want it to be there in Central Ohio. But we'll we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. What do you guys say? We start our Big Ten, Big Five now, and transition into Big Ten sports a little bit here. Yes, sir. Go Mets. I'm ready. I I want Casey to go first though. Okay, that works. I'll let Casey go first. So this week. We decided off the rails kind of the last few days without you guys knowing it, so it was a little bit of a surprise, but we're deciding to go with, however you want to interpret this, the most valuable or the most important players going into this 2021 Big Ten football season. So you're as you can imagine, there's going to probably be quite a few quarterbacks on this list, but who knows, maybe Casey mixes it up for us a little bit here. Let's hear that top five. So I tried really, really hard not to go with all quarterbacks on this list because I think that the Big Ten has some really interesting quarterback competitions, but also some guys that are returning starters that just flat out need to step up. And I'll kind of get into that with my top five, but I was able to throw one non-quarterback in there, so I was proud of myself for that. But Hayden, why why is it that you want me to go first? Is it because you haven't seen my list yet? Yeah, I, you know, we have this spread, not a spreadsheet, we have this Word document for a reason, and I just, I'm always, I feel like you're trying to keep a secret here, so you have to go first. You never post your your items, you have to go first. Alright, so, with that being said, number five, I'm gonna go with Michael Penix Jr. For as great of a season that Indiana had last year. Penix Jr. really took a dip from the previous season in 2019 statistically. In the six games that he played in in 2019, he threw for 1,394 yards, 10 touchdowns, four interceptions. But he had a completion percentage of 68.8, which is fantastic. And that completion percentage in 2020 went to 56.4. Now, he did throw four more touchdowns and the same amount of interceptions in the six games in 2020. But I think that if, if he can climb back to that percentage that he had in 2019, I think that he's a top candidate to win Offensive Player of the Year in the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, Indiana you know, might stay relevant if, if he can get back up to that. Number four for me is uh, Master Teague. I think that Master Teague, first off, is going to be running back one for Ohio State. Wow. I, I, I don't know why he was – Running back one, I mean, it's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty now after we saw what, you know, Trey Sermon did. I don't know why Master Teague was starting over him in the first place, but I would assume that, you know, with Master Teague coming back that he's going to start this year. But I think he needs to t- take a big step forward or it's going to be running back by committee at Ohio State. And the reason why I have Master Teague on here and not a quarterback is because I think whoever plays quarterback for Ohio State is going to do just fine with the talent that they have around them. But Ohio State's offense is so much more well-rounded when they have a running back that is 
powerful and shifty, and I think Master Teague is powerful, but not shifty. So it'll be interesting to see if he is able to be a three-down back and or if they you know, have to go running back by committee, which I expect them to just based upon Master Teague's playing style. Number three, not really sure how to say this last name, Spencer Petrus. Petrus, yes, sir. Petrus. Yeah, yeah, Iowa's quarterback. He had a nice ending to the season last year, throwing for five touchdowns in the in his last two games, but his completion percentage was only 57%. And I've been a big Iowa guy. I think that Iowa is going to be a good team. We're going to get to that topic here in a little bit. But I think for Iowa to really take that next step forward and win the Big Ten West and compete for the Big Ten Championship, he, he's got to step up. And we've seen flashes of it. Like I said, his last two games last year were – he threw five touchdowns to no interceptions, and they beat. I'm pretty sure they beat Wisconsin that year and another and another good team. So, I think that Iowa's. It's tough to say that Iowa's season really relies on him because if he's the same as he was last year, they'll go eight and four or whatever. But for them to take the next step forward, I think that he needs to step up. And that's a perfect segue to my number two, which is Graham Mertz. We all fell in love with Graham Mertz after his spectacular five touchdown performance against Illinois in week one last year. But after that game, I think it's fair to say that he was an average quarterback at best throughout the rest of the year. But I think that this Wisconsin team could be very good, legitimate shot at winning the Big Ten. And I think it all relies on the improvements that Mertz has made. And then my number one might surprise you. It's Sean Clifford, yet another team that I think has a real shot at winning the Big Ten title because Penn State's got a pretty good squad returning for the 2021 season. You know, they won four straight to end the year. They played quality teams very tough early on in the year. But to my point to why Sean Clifford is, in my opinion, the most important player in the Big Ten is because in Penn State's 0-5 start to last year's, Clifford threw eight interceptions as they lost, like I said, close games. He turned the ball over. Had he not, you know, they might have won. And then even going back to 2019 and the five ranked matchups Penn State had that year, Clifford threw only six touchdowns to four interceptions, and his completion percentage was just over 50%. But if you go outside of those games, Clifford is spectacular. He's put up pretty good numbers for Penn State. So I think for Penn State to be dangerous this season, which I think they will be, First off, they have a ton of tough games. You know, starting starting the year off against Wisconsin. They play Wisconsin and Iowa from the West. Obviously, they play Ohio State and, you know, Rutgers <laughs> in the East. I think he's just got to step up in, in big-time games, which is why I think that he's the most important player in the Big Ten this year. Two honorable mentions I have. I have Alan Bowman of Michigan and George Carl Loftus of Purdue. Carl Loftus is going to be the best player on the field, in my opinion, and probably 10 of the 12 regular season games that they play. But how much can that really lead to Purdue's overall success? I'm not too sure. But being at the DN position, I think, is very critical. Kind of like what I said at Thibodeau against Ohio State when Oregon comes to town. I think Carl Loftus can really win you a couple games if he has some massive games. And then with Alan Bowman... Don't even know if he's really going to be the starter, but if he's worth a lick, you know, he'll push whoever is at one right now from Michigan. Hopefully, 
And so that's why, whether he wins a job or not, I think whoever is leading the quarterback battle at Michigan right now, I would assume they're going to elevate their game when he got there. I guess he's there now, right? So I think it's important because if he wins the job, then he's obviously important. If he loses the job, that I would assume that that means that whoever won it uh, kind of stepped up. I actually really like that list, Casey. That was a good job, especially giving Iowa some love. That's I think we're all big Iowa guys this year. Yeah, I, I might break out my Iowa uh, shirt this year and just hop on that bandwagon. That should be almost like a fun game to do here. It's like a fine Casey. It's like Bachelor, but for college football. Like, find you an adoptive team per year. Dude, I'm on them this year. Casey's Hawkeyes. But, Hayden, let's hear your top five. All right. I texted the boys earlier this week. I said, this seems like a real big quarterback list this week. So, my bottom two, five and four, I tried to go non-quarterback because I wanted a little bit of variety, and I love giving the big guys some love, okay? And they're not, especially number five, I don't think, most people probably don't even know who he is, is the center from Iowa. His name's Tyler Linden, Linderbaum, sorry, Linderbaum. He finished top three for the Remington Award last year, and he was a first-team All-America by Pro Football Focus and The Athletic, and I think that's huge to get back for for any quarterback, but particularly for a team that we all think could do pretty big things this year. My next one is the combination. This is kind of cheating. Combination of Thayer Mumford and Nicholas Petit-Friere. Don't feel I, bad. I am putting <laughs> that same combo in mind. You're good. I, I, I just think that getting bo- both of those guys to come back, and not that I'm just going to say NPF is a was going to be a first-round pick or anything. But getting both of your tackles to come back who have significant experience, I think, is really big for, particularly in Ohio State's case, of having a a first-year quarterback. I think that's really big. And I think Casey kind of talked about it a a little bit. I think we'll see how important those players are when they play Oregon the the second week of the season. So I I think we'll see how important they are. My third is... Michael Penix Jr., and I had him solely on my list because we watched what Indiana looked like without him, and it was absolutely brutal in that bowl game. And if he comes back and he's healthy and he's ready to go, I like Casey said, I think Indiana could more or less stay relevant than going back to their typical seasons. Number two is whoever starts a quarterback for Ohio State, I know... Wally already has him has him penciled in as a starter. I'm not going to say Sharpie, who he has. Sharpie, baby. Yeah, he has it in permanent <laughs> marker who the starter is. <laughs> but I, whoever that quarterback is, whatever three, whatever guy it is out of that three, is going to be essential for that. Obviously, they're going to have talent around him, but he still has to be able to distribute the ball and make the proper choices throughout the game. And my number one is Graham Mertz. Casey talked about him quite a bit. And we've talked about Wisconsin a decent chunk throughout our, our nine episodes here. And if he can take that next step and grow a little bit, he can make Wisconsin very, very dangerous to play for any team in the conference and possibly help them win, win the league. I think he's the single most important player because he can elevate them from competing with Ohio State to actually beating Ohio State. So when I went about doing this list, I guess mine was less of a strict order. It was the way I viewed the question. It was 
who can stop Ohio State? Or if you're on Ohio State, who can keep Ohio State on top was basically how I went about doing this as being more or less most influential or most valuable. So I'll start with those Buckeyes. Instead of the Sharpie, C.J. Stroud, who's definitely going to win the starting quarterback job, like bet your house on it, it's going to be him. I really liked what Hayden said. Thire Munford, and tell me if I'm getting this wrong. Talk about, This is a name from hell for me. Nicholas Petri Freire. How do you, I can't say Petit. it. It's petite, like the word petite. See, I always thought it was petite, like petite Freire. Have I been pronouncing Thayer Munford wrong? Yeah, you you butchered that. You just butchered both of their names, by the way. It's it's Thayer. Thayer Munford. And then, of course, I've literally been saying it wrong. I literally thought it was petite Freire, but I kind of liked what you did. That's what I was just going to say. He's NPF for us forever now. So, yeah, you bring those two guys back. And you both talked about whether it be the quarterback position or whether it be Master Teague, that's invaluable to them. And you want to talk about a guy like C.J. Stroud or whoever steps in, to not only have both your tackles back, but to have those weapons on the outside as well. And Master Teague, no disrespect to him, because I feel like this is going to sound like I'm like knocking on him a little bit here, but he ran like a 4-3-2 this last year at Pro Days. You don't see it on the football field. There's like a difference between that football speed and that Pro Day speed. And like when we watch him, we always joke about it where it's like if you get directly in his line of path, I don't know if he can come off one way or another. He doesn't have that agility or the quick-footedness. So we'll see. Maybe he can make that step and become the three-down back that you talked about. Now for the guys that aren't Ohio State-related, and you're going to notice, again, very quarterback-heavy. I think, Casey, you had him. Sean Clifford, I think, he's the only quarterback on a team on the East that could potentially threaten, I feel like, the Ohio State Buckeyes this year. He took a little bit of a step back this last year. Didn't play great, but I feel like for all of these guys, you almost have to have a little bit of a longer leash than normal because of the conditions, like because of everything these guys went through. I'm not going to say I believe that that regression is going to continue. I think with a full year and now everything's back to normal, maybe you can get to see 2019 Sean Clifford a little bit more. So that We're going to call it the COVID waiver. It's the COVID waiver. Exactly. We got a COVID waiver here. And I like that. That's a really good idea. And then you can even go to the next two guys on this list. And I think it's the quarterback that plays the best is probably going to win the West. Spencer Petras and Graham Mertz. But whoever plays better, I think, is going to position their team to be in the best position to win that Big Ten West and at least get a crack at likely Ohio State Indian in Indianapolis. And you have those contributing players with them, whether it be Jake Ferguson up there in Wisconsin, we know Wisconsin skill positions, not talking about running back on the outside, typically aren't exactly conducive to the best growth as a quarterback, but it's really easy to forget too. After that Illinois game last year, where Graham Mertz was basically perfect. Wisconsin then had a COVID pandemic in their own locker room, so to speak, where Graham Mertz was out for 19 games. I think he only missed two games. It was 19, did I say games? Did I, did I say games? Dude missed his whole career. Yeah, he missed his whole career. My bad. What I meant to say is he missed 19 days from the facility with COVID, and I think he missed two games. I might no. be wrong. No, see, and, and that's why I might be a little harsh on Graham Mertz here because he did come down with COVID after the Illinois game, but they canceled games. 
He never missed a game. And then the game that he came back was the Michigan game. And they beat the freaking brakes off of him. So this whole, you know, he was gone for 19 days. Well, it didn't show in the Michigan game. They beat the brakes off of Michigan. So I might be a little too harsh on him, but I, I know you've said this in the past, Wally, about him missing, you know, all that time in the facilities, but I'm not buying it. See, my rebuttal, I guess, to that, and I don't mean to throw, keep picking on Michigan, but it wasn't like Michigan's defense last year was the Michigan defense that we've been accustomed to in the past either. So I, I maybe I'm the opposite of you where I'm too high on him still and giving him too much of a pass for last year. I just think that you're going to see that growth and at least development this year where we're going to be like, oh yeah, you know what? This is why people were fired up about this kid. And we're going to be able to revisit that because they are going to have that head-to-head with Iowa, which we'll get into more when we get into topics because we're going to be talking a lot of Iowa football today. I mean, that's going to be the Big Ten West Championship game because if you lose that, you effectively have two games to make up because of the head-to-head. So I think that's why I put Petrus and I put Mertz on this list because I feel like both of those guys make the difference one way or another. So those were there. And then last but not least... Of course, Michael Penix Jr., I kind of was not giving Indiana, I guess, the fair shake that I should have about two, three minutes ago talking about Clifford. Because Indiana gave Ohio State their biggest test, obviously, besides the playoff games last year. And they looked phenomenal. And if he can get back to, like you said, that 68% completion percentage, that Michael Penix Jr., then who knows what this Indiana team can accomplish, whether or not we're talking about valuable just for this next year or valuable for the, I guess, stigma around the Indiana football team? Because it takes more than one solid year, like last year, to really change the, I guess, narrative around a program. And if he has another year like that, who knows what kind of recruiting advantages that could lend Indiana going down the future. I really hope that Pettis Jr. comes back healthy because that dude is so fun. I I love watching that guy play. Hopefully for Indiana, they have him back because... That game that they played in the bowl game without him literally made my eyes bleed. That was like a debacle on offense. That was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, and I was going to jump in real quick. Even if Penix Jr. can get half, like make up half the difference, if he can get to like 62%, man, I I just think that that's going to take Indiana to a higher level because, I I mean, that's that's huge. I rewatched that. Ohio State-Indiana game from last year, I don't know, a few weeks back. But, and and, you know, it's not all on Penix Jr. about the completion percentage. I get that. I remember right before Sean Wade's pick six, Indiana, or Penix Jr. threw a dime right down the sideline, and their dude dropped it. At that point, that would have made it, I think, a seven-point game. And then we, I I mean, Indiana obviously scored after that. But that, I I don't know. I just think if, if he gets... To that 62, 63, 64%, not even to the 68 that he threw in 2019, because that's incredible, especially, you know, at Indiana. Like I said, I think he has a shot at winning Offensive Player of the Year if he stays healthy and, you know, Indiana can stay relevant. Do you remember, because obviously we didn't pay a lot of attention to Indiana, at least I didn't until this last year. How much of that 2019 completion set, were they running a lot of like bubble screens a lot close to the line of scrimmage, or was it still more of that stretch the field mentality? We at least got to see 
in that Ohio State game. Do you guys know off the top of your head? I know that it's, I'm putting you on the spot, and it's again, it's Indiana. It's not like we're lining up to watch them in, in the past, but it, I feel like it does make a factor or a little bit of a difference. I can't remember if Nick Sheridan was there that year. That is something that we should probably look up. But I do remember that Indiana going into the Michigan game late in the year was legit. Like they they were seven and two, I think, going into that that game. I think they ended up like eight and four, uh, nine and four, eight and five, whatever. But you know they've progressed, and for you know for some reason they've always played. I feel like they've always played Ohio State really tough, and I think it's all kind of starting to come together now that Tom Allen's been there for going into his fifth year. I think fifth year. Uh, not um, to interrupt, I, I looked no, up the Nick Sheridan. He's been at Indiana since 2017. He was the quarterback's coach for his first two years. Then he coached tight ends in 2019, and he's been the offensive coordinator since that year. He did coach quarterbacks for two years before. Okay, so he was the OC in 2019, correct? No, he was not. He was the tight ends coach in 2019. Okay, so not the OC. But anyway, so I think that maybe now that I'm kind of replaying the – more specifically Michigan and Ohio State games of this past year with Indiana, they took a lot more shots downfield, a lot of one-on-ones shots. And so maybe that's why his completion percentage dropped a bit because at that point you're getting, you know, you're throwing it up for 50-50 balls. So I don't know, maybe maybe Nick Sheridan needs to reevaluate, not reevaluate because that offense was, you know, pretty darn good with them. But maybe, I don't know, think about throwing some underneath routes and whatnot. To get, I don't know, boost the percent. I don't know. I don't know what the well. What the solution my is only to get that. my thing too, though, you have to remember is that he obviously had not only the injury, but it was already a shortened season. So the stats were going to be. I feel like you're going to look back on the 2020 season and see a lot of anomalies because of that shortness, where it's going to either inflate or deflate stats a little bit. Maybe over the course of a full season, maybe just naturally it reverts to the mean, and he's back closer to that 60 to 62%. Right, but the nice thing, I guess, about this comparing is that in 2019, he only played six games, too. I'm not sure if he got injured or whatever. I think he took uh, the job. I think he won the job mid-year or something like that. Was that by over Hayden's cousin? Was that Peyton Ramsey? Yes, I think it was Peyton Uh, Ramsey. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Uh, That's a funny joke. People who don't know, I convinced Wally that that Peyton Ramsey, who was Indiana's quarterback for a couple of years, Northwestern's actually, last year, wasn't he? And yeah, and at North, he went to Northwestern after. I convinced Wally that that guy was my cousin, and he believed it for like three years straight before I finally broke the news to him. <laughs> it made sense. Think about it. You're Northwest Ohio. Indiana's right next door. For all I know, you had a little little cousin strolling around a couple hours to the west. Yeah, I I was like. Walking around like, hey, guess what? You see that guy right there? Hayden's cousin, Peyton Ramsey. They, they, this guy's got lineage in his in his blood. So, my bad, I guess. That's actually hilarious. Yeah, that was that wasn't my best moment. Well, let's get into topics now. We're going to talk a little bit more Iowa, but before we get into Iowa, hold, hold on, hold on. Yeah, let yeah, me, go ahead. Let, let me let me comment real quick. I I forgot I had this in my head here. So I've got kind of a bone to pick with your guys' top fives. I, you know, I know we didn't really have a, a set way that we were going to do this, but I would argue that 
players like Paris Johnson or Harry Miller are more important to Ohio State than what Thayer Mumford and NPF are. Because you know what you got with Thayer Mumford and NPR. And while I think Miller struggled a little bit last year and Paris Johnson was just kind of getting his feet wet, I think that you could argue that they are more important to Ohio State's success with their development than what your tackles are. Or am I just kind of overthinking this a little bit? Or what was your guys' thought? And, and same with, you know, Wally, you had C.J. Stroud at number one. Whoa, whoa, like, well, no, I didn't. I didn't have Stroud on my list. I said that Stroud, a guy that you would want to talk about, those guys are more important to him. I didn't have him okay. on my list. All right, all right, okay, so you mentioned him first. That's why I thought he was number one on your list. All right, well, that's my bad. But anyway, going back to the tackles, yeah, like I would, I would argue that you know what you have on the outside. So wouldn't you think that guys in the interior might be more important because you don't really know what you have? And, uh, you know, like like Hayden was saying with Linderbaum, this center is a very important position. And I just think with a more unproven center, you, your center is not coming back, right? I forget who that even was. But anyway, I just figured that that would technically be more important that guys coming into starting roles – are producing no am i crazy so yeah well yeah you're crazy i think just because like you actually in your list i see i wish you wrote down your list because i could i could say you you talked about the the dude from purdue right the defensive end from purdue and you talked about Kayvon thibodeau it or thibodeau in a different thing you talked about how important these edge rushers are which makes me think that the tackles i'm not sure that like talking about how important edge rushers are makes me think like how important it is to have really good tackles because you have if you can't block them the game the game is over and you lose so that's no, I, I guess get, that's my my thought I guess no 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 I get that but we've seen that PFF has said what NPF and Munford are like the top two returning offensive tackles or or maybe you know top four whatever I think it was. And in the entire country, so like my my point is, and I'm not saying you guys are wrong or anything. My point is, is that you know what you have with those two, so like it's not like a question mark or anything. I guess is what I'm trying to say. The fact that you have those guys solidified on the outside, it also takes a little bit of, uh, I guess maybe not necessarily the burden off the guys on the inside, but it more or less it becomes that those three are their own little unit. And they're going to have to gel with that. But they don't have the edge rushers, I guess. I mean, Thibodeau is going to be one of those interesting guys because he can move to the inside and play, whether it be over to center, whether it be over to guard. So it will be important. But to have those guys solidified on the outside, I can only make everybody better on the interior as well. The other thing, I wish I wrote it down because when you were talking, oh my gosh, I'm losing it. While Wally thinks of this, I'm going to tell you my hot take is that I'm not worried about Paris Johnson at all, and he's going to be an All-American this year. Wow. This Spicy year? or no? I mean, the dude's got the hype. He's obviously got the size. What is he, 6'7"? I think he's listed at 6'7 or something like that, 6'6". Six, six. He a big boy. Yeah, he's a big boy, and he played sparingly last year. Ohio State has a you know, pretty decent recent history of producing good interior linemen. So shout out to Greg Shudrawa from the great town of Fostoria, Ohio. Shout Fostoria, out, shout out. Ohio. 
I finally remembered what I was thinking too. And this is where these kind of list where we don't really have that hard, like, I guess, cap on what we're calling it, whether it be most valuable, most important, what have you. I feel like it's getting into that LeBron MVP debate where LeBron is the best player, but are you going to give him the MVP as well? Because this guy proved it and, or like a guy like Giannis might have a career year. Maybe he's not what LeBron is, but it's like almost LeBron fatigue and voter fatigue where most valuable guys, I feel like you would go with one of these edge guys or one of these tackles, I should say. But then on the interior, I guess I could see that more important. But then when you consider injuries too, it's important for these guys to stay on the football field for 12 weeks as well. So it's very important. It really just comes down to how... It's a, it's a subjective list. It's how you personally perceive it. And I just think that those two guys, if they stay healthy all year, I mean, there's going to at least be battles with the best edges. And I forgot to tell you guys too, November 14th, Purdue comes to Columbus. So Ohio State does get to play Purdue. So that's another fun little matchup that you're going to get between the edge rusher and the tackle as well there. But I, I don't know. That was me rambling 18 different ways to, I guess, justify mine. I got you. I just think that like I completely agree with your reference to MVP and how LeBron could have won it for like nine years in a row. But to me, I took it as important as in like, you know, somebody's got to step up kind of thing. I don't know. We could argue Casey, about this. All I have a question. Go ahead, Aiden. If you could get, if you, you have, you have to pick one first round offensive tackle or first round guard or center, which are you taking? Am I an NFL team or am I a college team? You are. It's like it's like college free agency. You get a, a surefire first round offensive tackle or a surefire first round, which actually for inside guys is very impressive. But which one? I, I think you have to take the tackle, right? Which makes, in see, my opinion, makes it more see, important. See, the, the argument I'm going to make here is that you rarely go against top first-round picks in a given conference like DNs, right? So the rarity of facing great defensive ends in college football, I think, is low. Not that you know we're facing great defensive tackles in the Big Ten week after week, but I think being able to run the football is so valuable in college football that first thing that comes to mind is would I rather have Wyatt Davis or – NPF. And I I mean, that's tough, but you can make an argument for either one. And for my sake, I'm going to argue Wyatt Davis just because I'm going to go against you guys. But I, I mean, I don't think you can go wrong. That's not, I'm not trying to devalue NPF or Thayer Mumford at all. I hope you guys don't think that I'm doing that. But I just think importance wise, I think there are other players on Ohio State that we could put on there. On top of that, too, you you kind of opened a can of worms by bringing the NFL into this as well, just because if you're going surefire top guy, like a Panay Sewell versus a Quentin Nelson, you would probably take the Sewell lined up, like because those were the same kind of praise coming in. You would take that tackle at the NFL level. But then on a, a typical year, I just mentioned Quentin Nelson, he was coming out with Mike McGlinchey, obviously, a tackle at Notre Dame as well. He was a first-round grade. So was Quentin Nelson. At that point, the NFL team says, hey, you know what? We see Quentin Nelson as a potential first-ballot Hall of Famer. We're going to take that guaranteed stamp in there on the interior offensive line. 
but that was also one of the rarities where Quentin Nelson was getting Hall of Fame buzz before he took an NFL snap, where in a normal year, I think you take the top tackle over the top or top guard nine times out of 10. It really just goes to every single case is different. So I don't know. That's a really tough question. I can see both sides. And I, for the record, I didn't think you were trying to discredit Mumford or MPF at all. It's just, I guess, a difference in philosophy in at least the question. The way I look at it, it really is an entirely different question that we could go down like a 30-minute wormhole if we brought the NFL into it. But let's get the train back on the tracks now. Let's just jump right into some topics. Like I was saying before, I'm going to give you guys basically just a a little follow-up on stories we did last week before we jump into our new ones. But just because we talked so much about these stories last week, I felt like we should bring it up. One, Luke McCaffrey... Former Nebraska quarterback, four-star who transferred to Louisville and then immediately transferred again. He is going to Rice. So going back to our conversation last week, do we think that his name is going to get him into a big school or another Power 5 school? The short answer is no. Maybe this is him deciding to go there because of playing time. Right after he decided that he was going to Rice, Scott Frost was quoted this week at a, a little function in Nebraska he said, buckle up because this isn't the last time you're going to be dealing with this ha- or stuff happening. A lot of those kids are getting bad advice, which led Max and Christian McCaffrey, Luke McCaffrey's brothers, to basically go after him on Twitter a little bit saying, dude, you are you literally transferred in your own playing days into Nebraska after your sophomore year. Who are you to basically throw rocks in glass house? It turns into that whole, again, I guess philosophical debate on whether or not you are for the transfer portal. We won't go too much into it again this week because we know Casey's very much not a fan of the transfer portal where Hayden and I, I guess, are a little bit more uh, on the let these kids have the opportunity to go play elsewhere. Now, they're eventually, you'd imagine they're going to hammer out details to make this more fine-tuned. But we're going to see this stuff happening a lot more frequently in the meantime. But before I jump into the next thing, do you guys have any thoughts real quick on the Luke McCaffrey to Rice News? Yeah, well, not really to Rice. We kind of, ex- I mean, I mean, I guess I kind of expected him not to land at a big school or whatever. I don't have a problem with Scott Frost's comments. It's not like he singled out Luke McCaffrey and was like, oh, this dude's a baby. Like, I'm not surprised that he transferred again because he, you know, was afraid of competition or whatever. So I'm not sure why his brothers thought that he was like. It was a pretty strong hit. It was a pretty strong hit. But not really, though, because he literally said the trend, like, don't be surprised when this happens more often because that's the trend. Like, this is going on almost every freaking day, it seems like. It's not like he was lying and, like, Luke McCaffrey's the one guy that transferred in the past, you know, five months and this is just a rarity. So I I didn't hate Scott Frost's comments and I thought that, you know, his brother's going after him was kind of, childish I guess see I took it more as brothers being brothers where they're defending their boy in red probably a little too much into it where I don't know if Scott Frost meant it as a hint that he was poking at Luke McCaffrey I do think that that was probably in the back of his mind but at the same time you're also trying to keep guys in your own program and inside your own facility and your own doors so I don't really blame him I don't blame either side because I mean 
your brothers are going to defend you no matter what. And I think that's what this was, more or less. I think this is going to eventually just be a story we all forget about. Probably, I mean, there's a chance we don't hear from Luke McCaffrey again unless he transfers out of Rice. Maybe if he has a big year, that would be another fun conversation to have going about that. Rice is basically a Juco for a year, but we'll see. I don't know how that'll go. But let's jump into the other one real quick before we get into our, our new stuff. So I did a little bit of digging because I wanted to figure out about those packs that were sold for the neutral site games. And it led me down a wormhole where I never even got the answer I was looking for. But I wanted to tell you guys, and I figured that if you had interest in that story at all last week, you'll have interest in this. But LSU made $23 million for seven neutral site games over a nine-year period from like 2008 to 2017. And in one of those games, they were going to typically bring home like 4 or $5 million dollars and they were making a case that that literally funds the women's basketball team for an entire year, opposed to you have them in your own buildings for home and homes. There's not as much money there. And then it turns into that conversation of more dollar bills, neutral site versus less dollar bills, better atmosphere, more of the traditional home and home setting. So that was more or less, I thought that was interesting, but there was, I can't find necessarily yet the packs. I think I'm going to have to actually ask somebody in an athletic department. And then eventually in like three months when everybody forgot and don't care anymore, I'll bring that up to you guys again if I can find it. But we're going to jump into our, our actual main topics now. So Iowa, second best odds to win the Big Ten based on pro football focus. They're given a 44% chance. And by the way, this is Casey's Iowa Hawkeyes right now. This is the 2021 Casey football team in the Big Ten. So this is a 44% chance. Wisconsin, on the other hand, has a 26% chance. So almost 24 percentage points, for, according to Pro Football Focus, as being the favorite here. I guess, did you guys, when you initially looked at this, did you feel like Iowa was maybe given too much credit? Maybe 44% wasn't high enough? Or do you think that, I guess, that would be right around what you would expect? It obviously seems like more of an anti-Wisconsin belief more than it is a pro Iowa, but maybe I'm reading into that wrong. But what do you guys make of this? Iowa, according to Pro Football Focus, the second best team in the Big Ten. I'll start. Don't get me wrong, because I'm big Iowa this year. I was my initial reaction was I was really surprised that it was that high. Only because they play Wisconsin at Wisconsin. And for them to win the West, I feel like you have to go through Wisconsin to do that. That just seems like, I, I think they could win that game, but I, I feel like the odds are lower than what a 44% chance would suggest. Also, a 44% chance, like, how does that relate to the conference championship game? Because, like, are you saying that if Ohio State plays Iowa in the conference championship game, they have a 44% chance to win? No, what it was was it was 44% chance to win the West. Where gotcha. I think Ohio State had, I believe it was like a 68% chance to win the Big Ten as a collective whole. I think Iowa's chances were, I want to say it was in the high teens or something like that. But again, that's a high praise for, for Iowa. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. My point still stands that I think that's a little high because they have to go through Wisconsin, which I think will be challenging, but also a it's a winnable game, just hard to do. Yeah, you know what, Aiden? But I have to disagree with you. I think it's too low. I think Go Hawkeyes! The Iowa Hawkeyes should have a 99.9% chance 
to win the Big Ten. The whole Big Ten, not just the West. 100% chance they win the West. 99.9% chance that they win it all. Hayden, was this what um, Casey was like when he was a Michigan fan? 99% chance that Michigan was going to win? <laughs> nah, no, y'all no, wouldn't no have been able to. No, no way. There's no way. I was never that hyped up. But no, I mean, to be honest with you, I think on the on the rundown it says, oh, it just says second best. Oh, okay, so 44% chance. I thought it was to win the Big Ten. So initially I thought that, that was pretty pretty darn high. Um, but to win the Big Ten West, I think that's about right. I mean, it's basically, in my opinion, a 50-50. Okay, never mind. 40-40-20. And I don't – oh, gosh, dang it, man. You think of the West, and there's just too many teams that, like, every now and then sneak in. I, I, initially, I thought it was going to be 40-40 Wisconsin-Minnesota, and then 20% or, – God, not Minnesota. I just gave away Wisconsin and Iowa, and then Minnesota, the 20%. But – I mean, then I'd be leaving out Northwestern, who just, you know, played a hell of a game against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. So, I don't know. I guess 30% chance for Iowa, 30 for Wisconsin. What does that leave me with? 40%. 20 for Minnesota, 20 for Northwestern. I, I don't know. Lots of percentage points there. All right, here, a couple things I want to clarify to make this easier, too, for people at home. Iowa was also given from Pro Football Focus an 8.4 over under window for the wins there. Wisconsin is at 8.2. So even though it was 44 to 26% to win the West, just going off of over under on wins, it turns into, again, that it's a, it's a Big Ten West championship game between Iowa and Wisconsin. At least that's how they see it. The other two teams you just mentioned, Minnesota had a 10% chance, and I believe Northwestern was either 6 or 8. I can't remember which. But either way, those were the next couple teams that, you know, you just mentioned every now and then they have a year that basically just elevates them a little further than everybody thought they would. And what, Tanner Morgan's back, so who knows, maybe Minnesota could be a dark horse out there in the West. But a couple other notes from Iowa, especially we mentioned Spencer Petras before. He is the incumbent quarterback. There is the quote-unquote quarterback competition that's going on right now in the spring. Whether or not that's an actual true competition, I doubt it. But they do have redshirt sophomore Alex Padilla and then redshirt freshman Deuce Hogan come in as well. And those guys are at least going to do their best to take that job from Petrus. And then there is a belief that one of those guys is likely gone it's going into the transfer or transfer portal era like we were talking before. If you don't have a job, there's a good chance you do move to get that extra playing time. Give me a quarterback named Deuce. Give me one. I, I mean, I don't see why not. Deuce is, I mean, talk about a name right there. Hell yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say that same thing. Dude, Deuce? Come on now. Give me Deuce. And he do it's just like a football guy name. It just it, it, but it feels more like he's supposed to be a linebacker or something like that. That doesn't feel like a quarterback to me. But I don't know. Maybe he's gonna go out there and prove us all wrong and take the job from Spencer Petrus. But the last thing I'll make a note of is that Iowa's passing offense last year is middle of the pack as you could be. Thirty third out of sixty five Power Five schools last year and pa- or passing offense, excuse me. And then of course. Peter started off really poorly. He had three interceptions in what ultimately turned into the loss of the year that decided who was going to go to Indianapolis. Northwestern goes to Iowa. They beat them 21-20 in a close game. But Peters then finishes off the year really strong. Six touchdowns and an interception 
in his final four games, over 60% again. So I'd imagine Petrus is back. And if that is the case, I don't know if I'd... I personally think it's too low. As high as you guys are... Or let me rephrase that. I think it's too high. As high as you guys are on Iowa, I'm, I don't know if it's like the Wisconsin in me a little bit those three years. I just think this will be the year that Graham Mertz gets it together. You're going to see an offense in Wisconsin. Not like we've seen in many of the past years, whether or not the receiving core can actually live up to the expectations to help Graham Mertz get to that point. We'll see. But I think Wisconsin is going to get it done, mainly because I do think that they win at Camp Randall, which is effectively the Big Ten West Championship game. Boo, go Hawkeyes. Well, go Hawkeyes is right, but we're going to go back to the Buckeye State for a hot second here. Ohio Senate passes the bill for the NIL, otherwise the Name, Image, and Likeness Act. There's still a little bit of work to get done to have that go into effect for Ohio, but as you're going to see, Ryan Day and a lot of other high-profile coaches, not only in football, that are wanting this to get passed. I know out there, I you guys would, I think it's Mark Few, Gonzaga's head coach, he made a similar pitch to say, hey, we got to get this going, otherwise we're going to fall behind. Right now, seven of seven or eight depends because Oklahoma and Nebraska, they're a little technicality. It's a little weird. But seven or eight states are likely to have this go into effect on July 1st, including Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, New Mexico, Nebraska, and Oklahoma, although those have a little bit of technicality still involved. But the SEC, that's four states of those that I just mentioned, our prime SEC country. The last thing we need is the SEC to get an even larger head start and gap on other schools. What do you guys make of this whole situation? Because this is really bizarre. It's new uncharted waters. What is the long-term fallout going to be? Or do you think that this is going to be a situation where before too long, everybody's going to have the NIL taken care of? Everybody's going to need to get this passed. Kind of scary that Georgia, Alabama, and Florida are the first states to do it. It doesn't surprise me by any means, but very scary because if if, if other states get behind three, four, five, six months from now, they're going to gain such an advantage. Like if if they're able to say, "Hey, for JTT, you know, next weekend," if they can say, "Hey, next weekend, this law goes into effect, we can get you X amount of money," we have whatever lined up. It's just a really big recruiting advantage that. You know, unfortunately, it looks like Big Ten country, Pac-12, heck, even Big 12 is going to fall behind. ACC as well. Yeah, I, uh, other other states have to have to come along, have to come along quickly. I'm on the complete opposite end as Casey. I'm literally not worried about this at all. Simply because it's if it's if you're get... if you're a college athlete, where are you going to go? If if you can go to Bama and you can go. A car dealership once a you month. You didn't let me get... finish. Oh, all right, all right, my bad. Because it's go, it literally is going to get done in every single state, and it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And I also wouldn't be surprised if the NCAA does something to just make it an overarching thing, just for everybody to follow ASAP. I mean, even Ohio, Ohio's going to get it done here. Within the next month, you'd have to imagine it's already passed the Senate, and I don't see any reason that it wouldn't pass the House and get signed by the governor. So I'm literally not worried about this. It'll all get taken care of, I promise. From an Ohio State perspective, yeah, because, you know, you're at 
you're already at the top of the you know country and recruiting basically year in and year out, and they are in the process of making this happen. I'm just thinking about all the other you know states that it, it, the gap is just going to keep getting wider unless all these other states start speeding up the process. I guess. I found something interesting earlier that I wanted to bring up. There was a former William and Mary basketball player, and he's a current attorney, Mitt Winter. The only reason that I'm trying to not worry and kind of be more on Hayden's side, but I'm right down the middle right now. But anyways, he said that he believes that there will be players that enter into NIL agreements, even in states that don't allow it, because they don't think that the NCAA will basically penalize those players from those states versus like, let's say you're on the border of Tennessee and Georgia. And right now, Georgia, you're allowed to have that. But let's say five minutes across the street over in Tennessee, you're not able to, is the NCAA really going to say, Hey man, you picked the wrong side of that river to live on. And because you're over there, you're no longer eligible. But this guy over here in Georgia, he's good to go. So I think that's going to at least push the NCAA to make a kind of blanket decision, kind of what Hayden was saying. It's just, even if that takes a year, because we all know the NCAA takes forever to make decisions and they always make the wrong decision. So who's to say that they don't screw this up? Or at the very least, even if it is a year, that is a huge leap and a huge advantage that can trickle down through a little bit of time. Because right now, you just mentioned JTT. I mean, there's like 50... 40-year-old guys waiting for him in the Columbus airport, there's going to be marketing opportunities wherever he goes. And if he even thinks that it's going to be a couple month month difference, I mean, hell, give me the extra twenty twenty five thousand dollars $25,000 down there in Alabama. I'll just live and, and potentially win another couple national championships there and make money. It's the best of both worlds. So I want it to basically be resolved sooner than later because as it sits, this does encourage a larger gap. I mean, we already could make a case this is going to benefit the biggest dogs on the, the yard anyways. So, I mean, this is just... Talk about a whole new can of worms that the NCAA and the rest of the states have to figure out. Yeah, two things on that. One, I would not be surprised if that five-mile scenario that you played with Georgia and Tennessee, I would not be surprised if the NCAA messed that whole situation up too. And then second, if... A year in recruiting is absolutely huge. If the SEC country, or country, I meant states, gain a year advantage, and I'm not even talking about like Alabama and Georgia because they're always going to recruit at the top levels. But if like LSU and Florida start creeping up into that top five, like one one class can make a huge difference. And I don't know that I, I just think that this needs to get resolved very very quickly well and two i mean mississippi state like mississippi's in this so like all of a sudden i know mississippi state and Ole miss aren't exactly that national title contender but would you rather go to play for Ole miss or mississippi state and make a little bit of bang for your buck or would you rather go play in michigan state would you rather play go up there and play with the spartans and not necessarily be a threat there and not get paid just wanted to add this to the conversation because I feel like it's important. Yes, like the states that Wally listed, this could go into effect on July 1. But there is a strong possibility that the NCAA files an injunction against all of those states, basically asking the courts to 
like put a freeze on it until they can figure out something on their own is basically what that means. My understanding of that is the NCAA wants to come with a decision that is the same for everybody and not let the states decide is kind of my take on that. No, no, uh, no. For argument's sake, no. They're <laughs> that's not going to happen. They're going to SEC is going to get the the benefit of the doubt, and Big Ten is going to get screwed over. Cool. So then JTT is going to have to make his uh, car the old-fashioned way from envelopes from boosters wherever he decides to go. No, like an injunction means that the law literally can't go into effect. No, I like, I know. It, I I I was just saying. We don't care about your laws, Hayden. Yeah, we're we're saying that it's happening. Well, it's already happening with the McDonald's bags, so give me some more of them. True, true. And kind of off topic here, have you guys been following that? Air, what's going on with Arizona State? Because I have not. I, I've just seen some like articles, and apparently what's going on there is kind of a big deal, I guess. Some but dude blew it up. Ma- major power shakeup in the West, and then all of a sudden it's Arizona State. Okay, sweet. <laughs> That's a major shakeup in the West? Give me a break. Can you give us a little bit more information on that, though, Hayden? Because I know you were sending me uh, a couple screenshots here and there, but outside of that, the huge blow-up out West, outside of that, I haven't seen it until today with the whole former person at ASU basically going turncoat and turning over Herm Edwards in the program. So what's going on there? Yeah, basically, and I haven't read a ton. I'm going to give you a very, very brief synopsis of it. Basically, there was a guy who was like a control, quality control guy or a GA, something along those lines. And Arizona State had a offensive line, like full-time like position come open, and he didn't get it. So basically, he went and kind of ratted on Arizona State. And apparently, they were doing like illegal things with like money, like giving the kids money and stuff. But another thing that I saw that they were doing was they were like faking all the COVID tests. Guys that may have tested positive, they either didn't report them or they changed them, like altered them somehow so that they were able to continue to practice and do things like that. So, yeah, like that part of it is, in my opinion, the most disturbing part, I guess, because you kind of playing with guys' health. You never know how someone's going to react to, you know, getting that. I just think, like, yes, it's a big deal, but I thought it was kind of funny. Like, this, this, this guy was like, Major shakeup coming out west, like, and then it's Arizona State. Like, I thought it would be, like, Oregon or I, – I, I guess my first thought was Oregon, not Arizona State. I'm just happy that the potential violations are finally west of the Mississippi because it feels like every single time there's something going wrong, it's one of the big dogs in the Big Ten, one of the big dogs in the ACC, or one of the big dogs in the SEC. And it's nice to have Arizona State be in the mix now. Obviously not for the COVID stuff, but whatever. We're going to transition here. Let's go into our weekly recruiting update from Casey and Hayden. Let us know, people like me out there that are just the football on the field guys, what's going on right now in the recruiting world? The biggest thing that kind of started happening last night and early today was Jaden Gold getting a bunch of crystal balls to USC. He had his last visit. Uh, his last visit was to Penn State last weekend, and then previous to that was USC. This was just a week or, or a week and a half after getting a bunch to Penn State. And 
while it might, you know, sting Penn State a little bit because they're losing a guy that's from New Jersey, which is relatively close to Penn State, and he's going out west to USC, is what it looks like. They have been getting a bunch of crystal balls for Keenan Nelson Jr., who's another cornerback, really good-sized cornerback, 6'1", 200 pounds. He's actually ranked higher than gold. But, you know, nevertheless, you can't have enough corners who have talent on your roster. So, you know, potentially losing Jaden Gold, I guess, kind of hurts. Yeah, it, it's really just funny how fast things can flip in recruiting. We were talking about how last week I was thinking, you know, Penn State's going to get these two corners, and that's going to be, you know, really, really good for them. And all of a sudden, a week and a half later, flips, and all of a sudden he's looks like he's heading to USC. We'll see when exactly – if that happens, I believe his commitment date is yeah, it's it's Sunday Ju- the twentieth, yeah, twentieth. So like coming up in a, literally two days, three days. I don't even know what day it is. Something that I'm focused on as an Ohio State fan is I, I have the pronunciation. I'm still gonna butcher it. JT Two Malolau just got into Columbus today for his official visit. So well, that's big time if they can. Figure out a way to, to get him on board. He's going to take his visit to Alabama, I think, next. And that'll be the last one. Casey and I were, were debating, is the last visit that important? And he says yes, but I, I say you want the best visit, not the last visit. And that is prime example of Jaden Gold. His last visit was, was to Penn State, and it doesn't look like it's going to work out for them. So best visit always over the last visit. To me, it's just, you know, the last visit being the most fresh. I feel like you have a little bit of an advantage there. But going back into the recruiting side of things, I think within the last couple hours, Hayden, I'm not sure if you even saw this, Maryland got a couple of crystal balls for, I'm going to mess this up, Shalik Knotts. Not sure if you pronounced that right. Nice size, wide receiver, 6'2", 175 from North Carolina. He's a top 100 guy, ranked 93rd overall. He's got offers from Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina. That would be a big get for Maryland, in my opinion. And I think just two years after stealing that, gosh, I'm going to – I forget his name too. Rakeem Jarrett, I think, from LSU. So maybe Maryland's got something brewing now. I've got a couple follow-up questions for you guys from an outsider perspective on this. First of all, you just mentioned Maryland got another guy. That whole Big Ten East, even talked about Rutgers having a lot of momentum. It's really exciting to see teams like Indiana, teams like Rutgers and Maryland now starting to get a little bit of traction in recruiting and hopefully be able to turn those programs around. But quick note before I ask my questions. One, uh, we were talking about JTT, otherwise JT Tumaloao. I hope I got that right too there, Hayden. But he had five visits lined up. He had Washington on the 4th, USC in the 14th. Ohio State obviously coming tomorrow or by the time you listen to this. Today, the 18th. Oregon's coming up on Sunday, and then Alabama, of course, a week from today, they're going to be getting him for the last visit, which leads me into my question for you two. You just mentioned Jaden Gold having a previous visit at USC, then going to Penn State, and then having another visit at USC. Take us through that process on how teams get second visits and where the line necessarily draws. Can these guys come back for like five or six unofficial visits between multiple schools? How's that work? Yeah, I'm not too sure how unofficial visits work, like from coaching perspective. I'm not sure if he can just, you know, say, hey, can you you make it here this weekend or, you know, whatever day. 
But yeah, I, I completely forgot that Jaden Gold he was at USC again after the Penn State visit, right? You you just mentioned that. I might have misheard you guys. I thought you were saying that he took a second visit at USC after Penn State, but even the way it works out for your case about the last visit being the most important one too. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure. I have been seeing some posts of him at with USC, I guess, recently, so I'm not too sure if he took another visit. But, I mean, that's a great question. I think that really unofficial visits are more meaningful than official visits just because at that point the player is paying for it himself. Well, quote-unquote himself. But, yeah, so if – if indeed he did take a, an unofficial to USC after Penn State, I think that is a clear indication that you know he's a heavy USC lean. And I might be way off, by the way. I might have completely made that up. So if that is the case, just completely disregard what I said there, less what uh, what Casey said. But then, yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. All right, I I might have just misheard. I was so hung up on that. I'm like, oh wow, if he's got two visits, that's got to be interesting how that works because obviously there's the official one, and then like what Casey just said, I feel like on the official one, you're only seeing the the clean house, so to speak. You're not opening the closet doors and seeing all of the potential negatives or challenges that goes to a certain school. So sometimes that unofficial visit on your own dime might be able to be provide a little bit more light on things that otherwise you wouldn't have this sh- like school parade for you. But that's, again, just my observation there. But you guys are the recruiting experts on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, expert is a, is a bit of a stretch there, but I don't want it to all be bad news for Penn state. I want to, to kind of touch on this a little bit. I think that Penn state's class right now is secretly really, really good. They have 11 commits and seven of those are in the top 275. I know we've talked a lot about, and you know, a lot of people that we follow on social media, have been given Rutgers all the hype in the world in the Big Ten East right now because they've really never been this successful this early in recruiting. But don't sleep on this Penn State class because, you know, like I said with Keenan Nelson Jr., they're still in the hunt with a few uh, high-profile guys. So I, I don't want to disregard this class even if they don't get Jaden Gold. Well, thank you, Casey and Hayden there for the little bit of uh, the recruiting inside look. We'll again do that each week here as we transition toward the season. Now that the official visits are back open and we're seeing guys take these so oftenly, it's a constantly evolving cycle. But outside of that, we're going to our Ask CHW segment this week. Didn't have any submissions, so this is the fun where we get to choose our own question for you guys. So I took the liberty of coming up with a question for us here today. It is going to be, if you could live anywhere on earth, where would it be and why? And I'm going to allow you to pick one international and one place like elsewhere in the country if you want to do that as well. I'm going to start first this week because I guess I rarely do start. I guess I throw it over to you guys first. So I'm going to go first one for you. If you know me, this isn't much of a surprise for you. But if This is the easiest answer. I can answer this question for you without even hesitating. I can answer that question. Well, I'm glad you could because you're not wrong. If you, I assume you're thinking of the same one because we've been talking about it recently. Las Vegas. It sounds like the greatest place on earth to me. When I got out there, it's just, I'm a big dude. That dry heat is such a merciful thing when it's 100 degrees and it actually doesn't feel like 100 degrees and I'm not sweating my ass off. 
But then on top of that, I'm a Raiders fan, so the Raiders are right next door. There's no state tax, which I'm a really cheap person, so I would love that avenue of it as well. But then if you're going to take it from an international perspective, I was really hung up between either England or, like, specifically, I guess, just north of London, kind of in between Manchester and London, but I'm a soccer guy again, or being out in Paris because I know about 15 words of French, so I feel like I would naturally fit right into the people there. And I could say thank you and hello and good night a lot. So I think I'd fit right in. But I was got the opportunity to go there when I was younger. And it was a really cool experience and a lot of history. And there's a lot of great sports there too. It's just we don't necessarily watch it as much here. But as I've been getting into soccer, those are without a doubt my two international places. If you made me choose, I suppose I would say, I guess I would say Paris just because I think the food there is substantially better than England. Because England, they do it's amazing those people have any meat on their bones at all. Their food sucks, dude. Hey, the good thing about living in in Las Vegas would be you don't have to deal with the shitty pirates. Oh, like I would stop rooting for them. You know me better than that. I'd still be watching them at like, it'd just be 4 o'clock in the afternoon getting upset opposed to 7 o'clock. You can start drinking a little earlier in the day. I hate you. Casey, we're going to go to you because Hayden's bullying me. Where, where is your favorite place that you'd want to live in country and then if you had to go outside where would you go all right so i think if i could go anywhere in country it would be los angeles (laughs) and i've never been there or anything it's just always looked cool and i know the weather is great i'm a sucker for you know 75 80 degree weather year round would uh really intrigue me and then out of country i would have to say italy I've never been to Italy, but I love Italian food, so that <laughs> that is basically the sole reason why I would want to live in Italy. It's great so far. So you have Italy, and I have Paris, both for food-related reasoning, so that's good. Let's hear from you, Hayden, now. Is your international place food-related as well, or are you going off the grid a little bit? First of all, I'm not picking an international place because I live in the greatest country in the history of the world. America! <laughs> Mom. <laughs> I no, I suppose if you made me pick an international, I would. I think I'd pick Australia. I want to go somewhere warm, and I I kind of like kangaroos. I've never seen a kangaroo, but I like watching videos of kangaroos, so that's kind of cool. And my place in in the U.S. without a doubt, I'm going just just south of Casey. I'm going to go San Diego instead of Los Angeles. The one, the weather is amazing, right on the coast. I just, just beautiful, and that's the place where I want to be. So all I'm hearing is that in five years, check back in. This is going to be a Pac-12 podcast. Let's go Utes! Oh, the Utes? I was going to say Trojans. I'd hop on USC. Oh, gosh. Now I have to be outside the box. You know what? Oregon's uniforms and colors are great. I guess I'd be a duck, and we're just going to leave boo, Hayden. In... Exactly. Boo. We'll leave Hayden in the dust there with the Utes. Well, I guess that's going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We'll be back next week on June 25th, where we'll have another edition of our Big Ten's Big Five. Make sure you submit your Ask CHW questions by tweeting at us with the hashtag AskCHW. Otherwise, you're going to have us talking about food from Europe and Hayden getting bit by the nine of the ten most poisonous snakes on Earth in Australia. But we'll also accept those questions tagged to us on Facebook or Instagram. We love all your guys' feedback, so please keep the comments coming. Have anything you want us to talk about, let us know. Have something you want us to do differently, let us know. 
Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at P&NPod, Facebook at P&NPod, and Instagram also at P&NPod. I'll give you guys my final thought real quick for a change. We're getting the game of the year in week zero in 2022 as Wyoming and Illinois this week have set up their matchup in Champaign to start the year. And the whole reason I brought this up because joking aside about that being the game of the year, I didn't realize that the week zero teams, you had to basically have an exemption or a like basically an extensive travel schedule to be eligible to have that game a week earlier than everybody else. So because Illinois is playing Wyoming and Wyoming is playing Hawaii, they get to flex that to week zero. And then I didn't know this either. Illinois was apparently set to play Dublin or the Illinois was set to play Dublin. They were set to play in Dublin against Nebraska. Obviously Nebraska found another suitor for that, but then they were able to get flexed to the week zero. That just kind of blew my mind a little bit. So that's what I'm going to leave you guys with. Cause I guess now when you watch a week zero matchup, you get to know that those teams are going to have a little bit of hell later on in their schedule in terms of travel. But otherwise guys, what are your guys' final thoughts? Man, just going through ESPN right now, seeing that the Mets were unable to complete the four-game sweep of the Cubs. Freaking Marcus Stroman pitched a hell of a game. He had a lot of home run in the first, but other than that, gave up four hits the entire game. Mets only had two, so hopefully that's not a trend. They're going back to their ways where they don't have any run support for some great pitching. So ending the podcast on a kind of a – a sad note here. Final thought. Someone give us a damn ass CHW question, please. I'm I don't I don't want to come up with any and I'm tired of all these shitty questions. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, but someone ask us a question, please. It would be, it'd be about anything. I literally took that question off of a Google page of hundred things to get to know people. So I'm pretty sure it was like a high school like make students miserable questions. So I'm surprised you weren't already on the site coming up with the same questions. Also, last thing for you here, Casey, favorite player in all of baseball right there. That's right. It's a Marcus Stroman jersey. I just love the guy. So I'm not even feeling upset with you guys losing today. I love it. I love it. Yep. Just no run support, man. Unfortunate. Yeah, it's kind of an epidemic there in New York. It seems like all your good pitchers just have to win games two to one or one to nothing. Otherwise... You just collect that fat L on your stat line. Yeah, I, I mean, this was a two to nothing game where we had two hits the entire game, so just just disappointing. Pirates S, baby. But otherwise, make sure you check us out again next week. We'll be out on Friday for another episode of Kickskins and Nylon.